Now, I'm a black preacher, so feel free to talk back to me. This brown skin ain't for show. I mean, it's for show, but it ain't for show. Whatever. You got the joke. But I'm telling you, God is at work. And what the enemy meant for evil, I believe that the Lord is turning around in this season for our good. That when, when Satan came in and tried to divide us according to skin color, I believe in this season it's going to be the greatest testimony ever told because God is doing something in his church and it's not a white thing, it's not a black thing, it's not a Hispanic thing, it's an us thing, it's a bride thing, and we're going to be one. You know, when the testimony goes out that the church is dealing with her stuff, the stuff that's divided us, the stuff that's kept us separated, the stuff that, that, that has rendered us ineffective in a world filled with division. When the world gets a wind of that, guess what? They're going to begin to inquire. Who are they inquiring about? About the man Christ Jesus. And he said that if I be lifted up, I would do the drawing. So I believe that as we unite together, as we seek to be the one bride that he desires, as we seek to, to pursue oneness, I believe that there's a testimony that goes out to the world about who our Jesus is, and we're going to see an influx of harvest. We're going to see people begin to come to faith. We're going to see people begin to inquire. And guess what, y'all? It's not too far off. And so when I talk about the 400 conference, when I talk about one race, when I talk about what took place on Stone Mountain, I get excited all over again because I know that when we get this right, that there's an influx, that there's a, 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 a soul-winning mechanism in place to handle it all once it happens. And it's the church, y'all. So let me just give you the 400-year narrative. You ready? Y'all ready? All right, now I know I'm talking about race and culture. I'm not going to talk about it the whole time, all right? So some of you guys can be relieved. Um, but I'm going to talk about it for a few more moments because I think if we get this right, I think we understand where we are in the present, and I think we can write a prescription for where we need to go in the future. So for 400 years, black folk have been in this country, right? In 1619 at Jamestown, Virginia, the first slave ships landed here. This year marks the 400th year anniversary since that occurrence, right? And when I look back through history, that's one of the most egregious things to ever happen here in America. When we think about the present, I believe it's tied to the past. When we think about white people and black people and different cultures and classes being divided, I believe it has a root in our past. For 246 years, from the time of the colonies through America becoming America until the Emancipation Proclamation, 246 years, slavery was instituted in this country, right? 246 years. And then you fast forward out of that to equality? No, Jim Crow, separate but equal. That was a thing. We legislated racism. And then we've lived the last 54 years with the semblance of equality, but we still have stuff like Charlottesville happening, right? We still have things happening on social media where it's spiraling out of control, where, where, where there's deep polarization, 
and, and devolving into racist feuds. 400 years. So when I think about the last two, uh, 346 years, that's 87% of our history until the Civil Rights Movement. 87% of our history was legislated racism. And then the last 54 years, we've had equality, but not fully realized. You know why? Because all of our memories in the past are marked by this stuff. When we think about the division of the present, we immediately have to think about the fact that we've got more bad history behind us than, than we do good memories in the present or ahead of us. And so we've got work to do, right? And so it shouldn't be a moment where we disengage. It should be a moment where we go, well, we've done a lot of things here in this country that's promoted separation, that's promoted divisiveness, that's promoted us being separated. Now it's time for us to do the work of uniting. It's time for us to do the work of calling us together. And that's what One Race has sought to do. There at Stone Mountain, we saw about 23,000 folks and 500 leaders gather there for that exact reason to see to it that the division stops, to see to it that we have better common memories, us together seeking to be brothers and sisters in one family. And that's what we want to see happen throughout Atlanta. That's what we want to see happen throughout the Southeast. That's what we want to see happen in the body of Christ at large. Amen? And so, and so at the 400 conference, we're going to take some time to show you my shirt, my wonderful yellow shirt here. We've got these for sale in the back. They're supplying, no, never mind. I won't say anything bad. Say anything bad. Yes, I will. Uh, <laughs> they're putting my kids through school. No, joking. Joking, they're not. They're helping us to fund, fund the ministry. None of it comes to me. Um, there are three points that we've built this season around. And it's know the story, own the story, change the story. Know the story. When I say know the story, what do you think I mean? Know the story of our history. Know that 400-year narrative. Know that we've got more bad history behind us than we've lived good history out. Know my story. Know your story. Us knowing each other's stories and experiences helps us to understand one another. You know it's hard to hate, to, to hate someone up close and personally, Right? Proximity allows us to, to see each other. And a lot of the things that we think are divisive and dividing us really can be resolved. I'm not saying all of it can be, but a lot of it can be. We need to know each other's story, and we need to know the story of the church. The second piece is we need to own that story. Some of it's bad. Some of it's broken, which means we need to go before the Lord as the church and take these problems to him because he's the only one that can intervene and change anything. We've got to own it before the Lord. If we believe that God who created all things is able to intervene, then why are we not taking it to him? We should take it to him. We should own it before his throne. And then finally, we need to change the story for future generations. I don't want my kids living through and having some of the same experiences that I've had. I'm sure you don't want your kids having the same, similar experiences to some of the ones that you've had. We want to leave a better church behind. We want to leave a more united church behind. And the only way that we can do it is by banding together in this time and forging a new path ahead. Amen? Amen.
So I said all of that. And so we're going on a journey. Um, so it starts with the 400 conference. And then we jump, and that's on August 2nd and 3rd. That's an absolutely free conference. Louis Giglio, Leonce Crump, Latasha Morrison, Justin Gibney, Eddie James, and a whole lot of other folks are going to be there. You should be there. It's going to be dope. All right? Hey, listen, I'm not, not the dope you smoke. I know some, some of you went all the way there. No, not the dope you smoke. Um, but it's going to be really cool. And then we've got the 21-day fast kicking off on August 4th through the 25th. And what we're doing is we're calling the church to own it before the Lord. We're saying we're going to fast until we see this thing shift. We believe that God can intervene. And when we fast, we partner with heaven, inviting the king to get involved. And then finally, we conclude with the Day of Remembrance where churches throughout the southeast will put on a Sunday morning service saying the same thing, doing the same things, all in an effort to see the church united. Amen? And so we're calling that the journey. That's our August initiatives. So with that said, can we pray? Can we pray for the church? And then I want to pray for this message. And I feel like I've got a word. I, I feel something a little different in this service than I felt in the last service. So maybe the prophetic flow might, might come in here and we might, might not even talk about what we thought we'd talk about. Let's just see what the Lord does. Father, as we stand here on the eve of this 400-year narrative, as we stand here on the precipice of, of this 400-year anniversary, we're reminded of how at the end of 400 years you freed the Israelites, raising up Moses as the great deliverer. We're reminded that after the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom fell, and the 400 years of intertestamental silence took place. You raised up the ultimate deliverer, the man Christ Jesus, the one who delivers us from death, hell, and the grave, who allows us to enter into your kingdom, to be born again, to know who you are, to be in right fellowship with you. We stand here on this eve reminded of those things, and we're saying, do it again, Lord. Do it again in your church. Do it again in America. I pray that on this 400th year anniversary that you would raise up deliverers, the body of Christ, willing to speak truth to culture, calling out those things that divide us, calling out those things that keep us separated. I ask, Father, that you would raise up a host of deliverers, those that will speak truth to culture, those that will, that will esteem one another rightly. I ask, Father, that you would raise your body up in this time, that we could be an example to the world. I ask, Father, that your church would be the light, the city set on a hill, uh, not, not the light under a barrel. No, no, no. The city set on a hill that all might look on her and wonder about her God. I ask you to come and do something fresh and new in your church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And visit us in this message too, Lord. We need your help today, understanding the nature of your kingdom and what role we play in it. Help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I get excited when we start talking about the church because I feel like the Lord has allowed me to be a messenger in this time, and I want to be a good friend of the bridegroom. 
I want to be one who helps the bride get ready for his return. I want to be an advocate for her. I want to see her beautified and adorned and without spot or wrinkle, which is what Jesus requires of her. And so I get excited when we start talking about those things. Today, I want to camp out in Matthew chapter 16. I've got five ideas on the kingdom that I want to share with you. Um, I think that this kingdom narrative runs throughout all of Scripture. It's all about a king and his kingdom. From the beginning to the end, in the beginning we find that he wants a family. In the middle we find that that family has gone waywardly and he has to do some things to get things back on track. And in the end, he's going to have an eternal kingdom and his reign is going to know no end. It's all about a kingdom and it's all about a king. And secondly, it's about a father and a son. It's God the Father and Christ the Son and them working things out on our behalf. And then finally, it's about a bride. It's about a bride and her authority. It's about the church knowing who she is to this kingdom, knowing her rightful place, knowing the authority to which she's called to, knowing what God has secured through the man Christ Jesus and what we're called to. It's about a bride and her authority. When Lakeisha and I got married, um, it was a precious, precious occasion. And I should probably say this, my wife is sitting here on the front row. She's bad and fine and glorious and I just love her. We're coming up on nine years and she's been putting up with me for nine whole years. Y'all give her a round of applause. I know I look put together, but I'm a piece of work. Come on, somebody. Oh, your husbands are too. It's cool. I know. I know. I, I live in this marriage. Um, but I'm grateful for her. And we've got two boys. If you'll throw up the picture of my family. We've got two boys. Langston, who's the big one. We call him the big one. Super complicated. He's two. Turned two in June. And then we've got Dookie. Um, Duke. And I call him Dookie. I'm setting him up for all kinds of fights. I know. It is what it is. Daddy's boy. He's six months old at this point, And my boys are, they're sharp, sharp boys. The, the big one has discovered that he is a boy, if you, if you can read between the lines. And so everywhere we go, he's taking off his diaper. Daddy, look at my pee-pee. I'm like, kid, kid. People are going to think bad things of me, your father. Don't do stuff like this. But he still does it. Pray for me. And then the little one, he's, he's a little, he's an interesting bird. He's very joyful, but he's a firecracker. And so he kind of goes off the deep end sometimes. Just an interesting boy. He started tormenting his big brother. And I'm just like, I don't know what's going to become of my life. So y'all pray for me. My kids need to get saved. I'm given nightly, nightly altar calls hoping that they'll come down and respond. They still have not yet. Um, Anywho's, but, but that's all the outgrowth of our marriage. And if you'll throw the picture of our wedding day up there, that'd be amazing. That's all the outgrowth of our marriage, the love between me and my wife, right? That we get to have this beautiful family with these memories together in these stories that I love to tell. And this is us on our wedding day. This is me turned toward the door just before my first look at her, uh, my beautiful bride there, and she's full of joy because she knows I get to look upon her 
on the day that we get to be one, on the day that, that, that our family would begin, the day that she decided that she would clean up my underwear for the rest of her life. I don't know why, I don't know what, I don't know if it's a disease, but you just pile them up in the floor and the Lord's still trying to help me be a better husband. Um, but we decided that we would do life together. And, and, and I see this picture and I think about Jesus. I think about Jesus on the day that he gets the bride, us, presented to him. It will all be worth it for him. The same joy that I've experienced, the same joy that Lakeisha's experienced, it's going to be that exponentially. He's looking forward to the day where we get to be his. We get to be united with him in love. Um, and the bride gets to be presented to him and rule and to reign in this kingdom forever. It's a wonderful thing. And so I want to call our attention to our role and Jesus' role in this kingdom. And hopefully we have some revelations along the way about who we are in this eternal kingdom. Because when you said yes to Jesus, you ultimately said yes to being a part of this kingdom. You were born into a different reality. A reality that God the Father knew before he established the world would be the reality. And you've said yes to spending eternity with him. Y'all acting like y'all sad about that. Did I tell y'all a black preacher? It's cool to talk back. Ain't no need to be sad about that. Y'all want me to talk about hell? I can tell you about hell and we can, and then y'all will be like, hells yeah, we want, to, we want to go to heaven. It'll be good. Cool. So let's pick up in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. Uh, picking up right there at the start. It's one of my favorite texts here. Because Jesus, after the Pharisees have tried him, and they're trying him all the time, he drops some of the greatest knowledge in Scripture, in my opinion, uh, about the kingdom and our role in that kingdom. And I want to pick this up and tease out five points for you that I think will be helpful um, as you journey in faith. Verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? I think that's a fair question. You know, if I'm Jesus, I'm 100% God, 100% man. I've just left the cushiness of heaven, because heaven has to be cushy, it has to be amazing, to put on this flesh to sweat and to walk on streets where there was feces and manure and to put up with these disciples and these Pharisees and to know that I have to go to Calvary to be beaten and bruised and take on sin. Well, well I want to make sure that you're getting it. I, I'm with Jesus on this one. Who do you say that I am? Are you understanding what I'm trying to say to you? Are you understanding the words that are coming out of my mouth? Do you get it? Can you hear me now? It's what Jesus is saying. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
It's one of the most important questions in human history. It's who do you say that the Son of Man is? It is the most important question in human history. Because if we don't get the king right, we don't get the kingdom. And eternal damnation is our portion. We don't get access to the promises. We don't get, to get the rights to the, the kingdom. Because we didn't get the king right. So who do you say that he is? I believe in culture right now, that's one of the most pressing questions. People are trying to figure out, who is this figure of God? Is he an essence? Is he a vibe? Is he the universe? Oh, if someone else refers to God as the universe, I might lose it on them. He's not the universe. He's the uncreated God. He's the one that at the beginning of time, he existed. He didn't have to ask your permission. He doesn't need your right. No one crafted him. No one fashioned him after someone. He just exists. Who do you say that he is? Culture is begging that question. We find so many idols in culture presently. Mainly ourselves. We want a God that looks like us, that's sensible, that's, that, that, that I want to be nice because y'all don't know me that well. So I'm going to not say those things. We want all of our delicacies to, to, to be appeased. We want something that feels like us, a God made in our image. And we find this in the Old Testament as well. And the Lord demolished those prophets, if you remember, at Mount Carmel. It's one of the most important questions. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And I think we have to get the answer correct. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a few moments. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. And this is the exciting part. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We win. We win. In the end, we, you and I, those of us who are in the kingdom, some of y'all weren't so sure just a moment ago, but now you want to be sure, huh? You're trying to be a bandwagon jumper. Okay, I see you. We win in the end. We win. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I'm giving you authority in this kingdom. I'm giving you the right to proclaim the gospel. I'm giving you access to the promises that this kingdom has. I'm giving you rights to something that's not your own. This is the kingdom. And so I want to call out five ideas from this text that I think will be helpful for you as you journey in this kingdom. Is that okay? Can you guys hold up the number five? Five ideas, okay? The first one is God is preparing a kingdom in which Jesus is king. Get that right. Don't mess that up. Jesus is king. God the Father in the beginning said in his heart that he was going to provide a kingdom for his son, Jesus. Right? 
Where do we find this idea of the Father preparing a kingdom? Well, Matthew chapter 6, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What on earth as it is in heaven? And we find at the end of the book that Jesus is the king of this kingdom that the Father is preparing for him. Jesus is the king. The second point that I want to call out to you is the kingdom is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. Meaning that when we get Jesus right, we get the kingdom right. Meaning when we say yes to the gospel, that Jesus lived a sinless life and came, suffered, and died for you and I, that a reconciliation took place between us and God, making us right with him. That is what the kingdom is built upon. It's the revelation of who Jesus is as the Messiah. It's the revelation of what he did on Calvary. It's a revelation that I am a part of this family when I said yes to him. It's built on who Jesus is. Don't get that wrong. Number three, the church, individuals that make up the collective, are citizens of this kingdom. You know, he says to Peter, uh, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, many people will translate the word church there as called out ones, meaning that if there was a group, right, if I were a part of the group out there and Justin came and called me out from among them, I would be called out, right? I'm standing here on stage alone. You guys are looking at me. It's kind of awkward sometimes what you're looking at me, but it's good because I'm called out. I'm called out. But I actually like a different definition to this word ecclesia or the church, and it's witnessing body. It's witnessing body. What are we witnessing unto? We're witnessing unto who he is. We're witnessing unto the gloriousness of Jesus. We're witnessing unto that power and that grace and that mercy that we have found ourselves in. We're his witnessing body. We witness unto that, but we also witness to a world that needs to know who he is. We're a sort of missionary, hallelujah. We're a sort of evangelist. We're witnessing unto what he's done, but we're also witnessing to a world who he is. That's important to know. Ecclesia, the witnessing body, the church, individuals that make up the collectives, are, make up the collective, are citizens of this kingdom. So when I think of myself as a witnessing body, I also need to know that I'm a member or a citizen in this kingdom. So when I go to Israel, I can go, well, let's just back that up. Let's do a different analogy. When I go to Washington, D.C., and I go down Embassy Row there, it's beautiful down Embassy Row. It's like driving through the nations. If you've never been down Embassy Row in Washington, D.C., um, I suggest you do it. It's an experience to be had because it's like the nations coming right here to America, and we get to see the nations right here in our own backyard. Right? You've got houses that are Mediterranean, that are Spanish, that are Asian. They, they just have a different feel. And these different embassies that line the street, uh, 
there's an ambassador that lives in these houses, right? That ambassador isn't a citizen of America. That ambassador is a citizen of wherever that ambassador is from. And we, like that ambassador, are here on earth and we're members of that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, but we get to do business here on earth. I believe 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are God's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. It's as if God is making his appeal to the world through us. And that's exactly what the ambassadors do there in D.C. is they make the issues of their nations a point, a priority there in D.C. in the nation's capital. We are called his ambassadors. We are those that, that get to press the issues of heaven. We get to promote the agenda of the king. We are not of this world. We are of a different kingdom. So when things are exploding in America and Twitter wars are going on and people are losing their doggone minds, guess what? I don't worry because I'm not of this kingdom. And my king got my back. My king has my back. The church, individuals that make up the collective, are citizens of that kingdom. Point number four. Thank you. So much tracking with me. God bless you over there. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. That sister said, Folk. I said, Yes, girl. Folk. I love it. Number four, the church has been endowed with authority to both bind and to loose. Because I am not a citizen of this world, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because I am an ambassador, I get the right of the place that I'm from. I get the rights to the kingdom of heaven because I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And guess what, y'all? There is no lack in heaven. Oh, that's cool. You don't have to say amen. I'm going to claim it all for me. There's no sickness there. So if I've got sickness in my body, guess what? I get to claim and receive the provision that my king has procured for me. Jesus shouldered sickness and disease on his back when he went to Calvary. He beat them. So if you're sick in your body right now and you can't get well, guess what? You need to make an appeal to your king and say, you promised this to me. I get rights. I'm not, I don't have to live through these things. I have a different level of authority. When things are getting ill in Washington, I'm not tripping on Washington. I'm taking Washington to the king in prayer, and I'm saying, Lord, do something with this. We invite you to come and be involved in the affairs of America. When we look at the climate, the racial climate here in America, here in the southeast, when we look at it and we think to ourselves, well, this is, this is kind of going to hell in a handbasket. It's not very great. Well, we don't have to be discouraged. We just need to invoke the kingdom. That's exactly what we've been doing through one race. We've been going and saying, division come down in Jesus' name and unity be raised up because that's what we're called to. The church has been endowed with authority to bind and to loose, and that works on three different levels. We have the right to proclaim the gospel, 
meaning that we get to preach and proclaim what Jesus has done. And that provides an invitation, an on-ramp of sorts for the unbeliever to come into the kingdom. Clap right there. That's miraculous. We've got to become more outwardly focused and more evangelistically focused. You know, I work for an organization called Christ for All Nations prior to One Race. And over, Reinhard Bonnke is the man's name, and over the last 40 years of his ministry, they've seen 85 million salvations. 85 million salvations. That's more than a quarter of America's population have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we get the right to proclaim the gospel. We get the right to bind and to loose to say that the kingdom of heaven is open to anyone who would believe in the man Christ Jesus. <laughs> Secondly, we have access to invoke the promises of God and the rights of the believer. Talked about that just a moment ago with sickness, with lack, with opposition, with things that steal your peace. You don't have to take it because you have you, you have. A king who sits on the throne who gives you rights. And finally, we have the right as a collective to act as an, in an official capacity. Meaning that we get to be God's government here on the earth. And we get to act with that in mind. And so as a collective body, and I don't have time to tease this out or spend time with it. Another idea for the church is that we're a governmental institution. And so we get to decree things on the earth and they be so because there's collective agreement within the body. I said that succinctly. Cool. And finally, the last point, which is the most exciting point. The church is ultimately victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This is a reality of the kingdom. I'm not making this up. We read that in the text. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This ain't me writing this. This is Jesus saying this. These are the red letters in scripture. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. I could say that. I don't need to say more than that. The enemy might come in like a flood, but God is going to raise up a standard against him. In the end, Satan is going to be cast into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. God is going to set up an eternal kingdom that lasts forever. You and I are going to get to, to, to live in the new Jerusalem streets that are paved in gold. In my father's house there, it's a mansion with many, many rooms. and I get a room in that house. Now, you get the small room. I get the big room. I ain't joking. Need my space. But we're going to be victorious. We get to rule and to reign with him forever. And ever, and ever, and ever. His kingdom is an eternal one. And he declares victory over you and I. That's glorious, beloved. That's a wonderful. And this is the reality of the kingdom that you and I are invited to be a part of. 
when we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to this reality. We get to be a part of that victorious body. That does my heart so good. Because in a world that's unfair, in a world that's fallen and broken and where evil is allowed to come in and to ravage little kids and and to harm so many, where calamity strikes the masses, the just and the unjust alike, it's glorious to know that those that are his, in the end, we get to be victorious. That should make your heart glad. That should make your heart glad that when we see division happening, it's not going to last forever. We get to see the victory. And so just wrapping up here, my five points. God is preparing a kingdom in which Jesus is king. The kingdom is built on the revelation of who Jesus is, and he is the Messiah. Point number three, the church, individuals that make up the collective, are citizens of the kingdom. Number four, the church has been endowed with authority to bind and to loose. And number five, the church is ultimately victorious. Why don't you guys stand up on your feet? I want to pray for you. Jesus, we say that your kingdom is superior. There is no king like you. There is no one that compares to you. In heaven or on earth, there is none. Earthly kingdoms might rise, but they will fall if they don't submit to you. There might be presidents, but presidents don't compare to the infallibility of our king. There might be some that have great power and military might, but they pale in comparison to the the, the host of heaven's armies, the commander of heaven's armies. And so we say that your kingdom is good. We say that your kingdom is right. And we're glad to be a part of it, to be those endowed by heaven, to be those ambassadors on the earth, to be your representation, your hands and your feet here on the earth. We say we're glad to be counted in that number. And we say victory to you and victory to your kingdom. We submit our lives and our hands and we're grateful to be a part. I ask that you'd bless this church community and that they would rise up in their authority, they would rise up in their place, and they would know to the hope to which they've been called. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.